Welcome to Field to Fan, a podcast from Delta Tray where we discuss the intersection of media and technology in sport and entertainment. I'm Jason Bradwell. Watching a game is no longer enough for the modern day fan. Engagement is three or four times higher when viewers can interact with the content that they're watching. Streaming providers not yet investing in interactivity and gamification are falling behind. Delta Trace Simon Farrant recently hosted a webinar with Mihir Walavalka of LiveLike and Kieran Bresnan, also from Delta Trace, to discuss what it takes to deliver a modern day viewing experience. Specifically, they covered specific use cases of how rights holders can introduce interactivity to a streaming experience, from influencer chats to live polling and more, how to convert passive viewers into engaged, loyal fans through interactive experiences, in turn improving user acquisition and reducing churn, and the benefits that Delta Trays and Live Likes integrated over-the-top video player and fan engagement platform can deliver. It was so good, we just had to take the audio and share it on the special episode of Field to Fan. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm Simon Farrant from Delta Trey, and I'm going to be hosting the um, webinar today where we're going to be looking at the role of interactivity uh, when it comes to OTT. I'm delighted to welcome the two panelists we have uh, joining us today. Um, Mahir Wallavalka from LiveLike, he's the CEO and co-founder. And we've also got Kieran Bresnan joining us from Delta Trey, who is um, SVP of Solution Engineering. Uh, Mihir, why don't you just do a brief introduction to yourself and LiveLike? So I'm Mihir Wallavalkar. I'm the CEO and co-founder of LiveLike. Um, we are an audience engagement platform that works with uh, sports leagues, media companies um, around the world to help convert their passive audiences into engaged communities. Cool, thank you. And Kieran, do you want to just um, run through your uh, role and um, Delta Trey's role in OTT generally? Great. Uh, I'm Karen Bresen, um, SVP of Solution Engineering for Delta's Video Experiences Unit. Um, we're a very large systems integrator and product company um, focused on building our customers, designing, building, and powering our customers' OTT platforms. So our products encompass uh, the, the video workflow, application development, UI design, and personalization. And we work for very large customers like DAZN, Sinclair, Ridbox, Bell Media, and NFL. Cool. Thank you. All right. So um, let's, uh, well, let's get started. So um, there was obviously an announcement went out talking about the fact that um, both Delta Trade and LiveLike are sort of integrating within our product set, which is fantastic news. To sort of start from the most general point, I guess, what do we mean when we talk about interactivity in OTT? Can, you know, for either of you, what's the elevator pitch? The way we think about it, at least from our perspective, is that, you know, Today's audiences are conditioned for interactive participatory experiences. Um, you know, most of us have have spent, I mean, sp most of us do spend a lot of our time on social media, on, um, you know, group chats with friends on WhatsApp while watching games or, or TV shows. And, uh, you know, that, that, trans that behavior translates into wa all walks of life. While most of the live viewing experience for the past few years um, has shifted from TV to mobile, the interactivity hasn't, um, you know, it's still primarily a passive viewing experience. There's, there's active experiences in the sense that you can choose your own content, there's personalization, but when the, the idea of community still hasn't percolated uh, enough, and that's where we're trying to um, fix, or fix, we think it's a problem, and so we're trying to fix it, um, is how do we bring community and interactivity into live streaming? 
whether on mobile or on connected devices. Um, and for us, you know, as it, at least in, I mean, this is something that's been around in Europe for a long time, but in the US, betting is becoming a, a key part of every conversation with rights holders. In order for that to actually happen, interactivity, participatory experiences are extremely important and more social that experiences, the better the, the, the UX is as well. And, and, and you know, our partnership with Delta Tray is meant to address that because Live Like solves one part of the equation. Delta Tray brings the entire digital and video ecosystem into the picture as well. Well, thank you. That's a really nice segue, Kieran, from a Delta Tray perspective then. Yeah, I, th I think we've always kind of seen it as kind of two different parts where we have interactivity with the media and the data. So we do a lot of that with sports media. Uh, we're bringing in real-time stats and we allow the end users to um, interact with that, see widgets, they get a better experience, they can have interactive timelines where they can get that um, live experience even while watching VOD. Um, I think what um, here in Live Life Ring is that um, kind of fan engagement. It's the community side of that kind of interaction, which I think is, is, a, is a great set of features to add to our kind of products to kind of bring to market. So I think that kind of both sides where you're interacting with the content and obviously the editorial and the customer that sits behind that and then also the community. I think over the last 18 months, I think we've all seen how important that is to kind of build up that virtual community and to kind of have those features so that it's uh, you feel you know part of something bigger than yourself. We talked a bit about the role of interactivity and the uh, uh, potential role it plays from a sort of community and interactivity perspective, but is there a way to sort of paint a picture of what it actually means from a monetization or an engagement um, or retention, I guess, um, side of things, you know, are there sort of specific numbers you can put to that? Or is it more of a case of evaluating the progress that's being made? Yeah, I mean, look, we can we can point towards some empirical evidence from other industries. On average, there is a 6x multiplier in the gaming industry when you went when you went from single player experiences to multiplayer experiences. You know, a, a simple thing, you know, in the 2000s, primarily gaming was, and they were all popular experiences already. Uh, were console games where it was you versus the game, so to speak. The moment that became a multi-MMO world sort of came into play, and now you have free-to-play experiences like Fortnite and social experiences where you know, you're know you monetizing through in-app purchases and microtransactions because there's a whole community and you're mocking each other. That guilds and tribes behavior sort of comes into play. Um, there is a 6x multiplier. And that's today. It's only going to continue to grow from here on. If you look at other industries where e-commerce comes into play, like Amazon versus Pinduoduo or music streaming, where it's more podcast versus Spotify uh, or, or radio versus Spotify, that aspect of interactivity and community, um, you know, going from a passive experience to an interactive experience. I mean, we usually chart it out uh, in, in our live light uh, presentations where you have, if you have the, if you have X axis, which is single player to a multiplayer, which is audience to a community and, you, and your Y axis is uh, passive to interactive, it unlocks a whole world of monetization opportunities because the bottom left quadrant in that graph is your current model, which is subscription and mass advertising. But the moment you expand beyond that, you start getting experiences where you get microtransactions, in-app purchases, you start getting peer-to-peer um, -peer challenges and wagering, you start getting influencer-led marketing. All of these things are currently prevalent on big tech and gaming company apps. Those can be brought into media company apps because the idea, the, the, the IP is best suited for uh, passionate behaviors, uh, best suited for anything to do with, um, you know, the guilds and tribes mentality, the clans mentality. Um, and we haven't, I mean, 
quote unquote exploited that enough the way I think about it, because all that activity is happening off platform is happening on Twitter. It's happening on social media. It's happening on Reddit. Those we believe at least some of that should be happening on platform for people that are actually paying billions of dollars for rights or creating new content. Um, and that shouldn't be happening somewhere else. It's better from a user experience standpoint because you're not switching back and forth between apps. And it's better from a monetization standpoint because you now have more attention of your audience and you can start monetizing it in different ways. Here. Yeah, I, I think uh, for us, it's about kind of increasing engagement and enjoyment for the end user. And I think once you once you start building up that cadence where they're spending more time on the application, and I think Mahir hit the nail on the head. They've been doing this in the kind of gaming industry or mobile gaming industry for years now where they're building up these microtransactions, loyalty schemes. You have that kind of building up that community. And I think as you increase interaction to the platform, you, you can get more analytics. You can then recommend more content to that user. You could build up you know, increased advertising revenue. You can then have direct monetization with in-app purchases and microtransactions. And then as they start as they start interacting with the service, they start then pulling in their friends, they start sharing that is because they're kind of they're enjoying the experience. And it's just a cycle where the the more they use the application, the more personalized it can get. And then the, obviously that you know decreases the the, the chance of churn and it increases acquisition as well because they're more likely to then share the community features that they're having and then bringing their friends in so they can kind of share that with them as well. That was, that, I mean, that was something I was going to pick up on because I think there are a couple of different strands to explore there. But yeah, as you touched on there, Kieran, presumably, um, yes, there are any number of sort of quantitative metrics that we can apply to this, but the qualitative sort of experience, I suppose, of, and it's a bit of a sort of overused trope, but being closer to the game or closer to the, the content that you're experiencing, exactly that. It sort of will increase engagement and retention, I suppose, from that perspective. Yeah, I, I think a lot of our customers, when they're trying to even have the metrics of how, you know, how what the increased engagement is of the dwell time in the applications, a lot of them are now looking at almost positive mes messages on social media. Whereas normally they're they're fearful look, looking on Twitter to see if someone is bashing their yeah. service has a buffering issue, but now they're looking for oh wow I had this amazing interactive experience. So there because if users start sharing that, that's obviously a big, you know, it's a nice thing to see for the product team and the and the developers behind the scenes when they're actually you know when we're seeing that positive feedback as well. And I think a lot of customers are using that in their internal kind of marketing as well. That's actually really interesting, Simon, if you don't mind me just touching on that point, because, you know, one aspect that we've seen, you know, we, we partner with the likes of Flow Sports and they have actually used whenever there's glitches and look, all apps are all streaming OTT apps are going to have glitches at some point or the other. They've actually used the, the social channels or the, the chat functionality, the watch parties functionality to communicate with the audiences in real time about what's going on. Like, hey, we know there is an outage working on fixing it or you know, points total have not updated in a gamification feature like a leaderboard. We know there's an issue, we're coming back to you. And those interactions with the consumers, actually, it, it dissipates the anger instantaneously because it's no longer like a forum for people to just like throw obscenities at you guys, uh, or, you know, not you guys as in like the, the rights holders or whoever the app owner is. It's more of an opportunity to tell them why something is happening and there is a fix on the way. And, and it becomes like a nice bit of customer service. If you have... Um, a, a non-video experience app where like NASCAR, they were tracking the metric that they that catered, they were catering to or looking at was the registrations and how many people are actually, because this entire interactive experience was sitting behind the paywall, they were looking at how much the uh, year over year registrations and logins were increasing along with how much interaction was happening in the, um, in the experience. 
on top of that, um, you know, from their perspective, they also experimented with putting this behind the paywall and outside the paywall to see was there a noticeable change in behavior between quote unquote engaged versus non-engaged fans. On the other side, you have Flow Sports, which is more of a streaming app. For them, they are a yearly subscription product. For them, set to cancel is the proxy. And they noticed that there was a 14% reduction in churn. Those engaged users were 11% more likely to return and consume additional content. And mind you, this is lightweight smoke tests with barely any marketing. This was over a six-month time frame. They wanted to see, they wanted to A-B test how audiences react to this functionality. Really, the only way people actually found out was through this new red tab at the bottom of the screen there where people, they were like, they even wanted to know and they were doing surveys of how many people even noticed that this functionality was there. Mm. The, the, the results were so astoundingly high that they started, okay, they said, now we need to start investing more. Let's start introducing gamification. And they have multiple different types of content in there. So, you know, they had a different editorial treatment for wrestling, which is more hardcore fans versus cheerleading, which is more Gen Zs and younger audiences cheering on their fans. And so the way they communicated uh, that experience was different, the way they programmed it was different, and the way consumers behaved during those interactive experiences was very different. And it was fascinating to see, and, and they got a lot of insights from that as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I we can go all day long in terms of case studies, but all of these partners that are bringing interactivity, I mean, even the likes of big pay TV operators like Canalpus are seeing repeat engagement, week over week, day over day, even multiple times within a match. Um, it's, yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to do and we are just scratching the surface right now. Cool, thank you. I mean, Kieran, from your perspective, obviously we've, we've touched on Canal Plus, we've touched on, on Flow Sports and NASCAR. Anybody else that springs to mind from your perspective that's doing this well at the moment? Yeah, I think, I think um, if, if you think about it, kind of pure interactivity, I think the traditional broadcasters, especially in the UK, you know, they, um, a few years ago, they kind of pioneered this for things like, you know, X Factor and Love Island, where they're, you know, on the traditional broadcast, they're getting in people's votes, et cetera. You know, they, they have the banners down the bottom left. I think kind of moving into kind of OTT, I think the, yeah, the mobile game and the esports um, applications are fantastic at this. They've really built up that sense of interactivity, both with the data and then obviously the content and the, the user and the communities. Um, Disney Plus, like the very big players, Disney Plus with Watch Party, they've made a very complicated feature seem trivial where people are just using it now and it feels so natural. It's great. Um, I won't bring it in, but the bike behind me, the 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 the, the Peloton bike. If anyone has not seen the UI itself, because obviously there are multiple live events every day, but the gamification features, the interactive timeline, the kind of leaderboard where you can kind of hit up other people, etc. It's it's fantastic. The the way they've designed that, and I think that is one of the key challenges as well. Is how do you how do you bring in a lot of these kind of new interactive features into an experience and you're not bloating that or you're not bombarding the user with too many things that are moving. So that kind of how you add it, personalize those and then how you bring that into cater that into the design. You don't want something that's too, you know, it's, it's too busy for the, for the user to kind of handle or it's distracting away from the media if they're in the mood to just kind of sit back and have a lean back experience. I think that, I mean, the Peloton example and also something you touched on as well, Mihir, the, the sort of the ease and the accessibility of this type of functionality is clearly so crucial. As you say, the, the Peloton example, ultimately you could sit on that bike without the screen on and have an exercise you know, experience, however you want to sort of frame it. But ultimately the thing that keeps you coming back and keeps you paying that subscription fee will be the ease of use and the way that you are engaged with the challenges you are being set. And um, I think that's a really, really important point. 
I think we've had gamification in our lives for many, many years and all age groups, right? Gamification in the world of gaming is just most the most obvious example and we like to focus on Gen Zs, but all business travelers are used to loyalty programs with frequent flyer miles, the Amex rewards points. It, gamification has been there to incentivize certain behaviors forever. It's just that we are now bringing it to the world of media and entertainment. Um, in, in, in terms of watch times and session lengths. And hey, the more, the more content you consume, the more points you get, the more points you get, the more premium experiences it unlocks. It's just that those premium experiences that it unlocked were not, were not there. Now we're building those. And ask yeah. me anything session if you unlock a level or something like that. So you, you touched there on the fact, you know, you, you split out sport and live entertainment. So that's something I just want to explore a little bit further, if that's okay. Um, yeah. From a live-like perspective, do you view the challenges of each in a similar way? Or actually, do you treat them in an entirely different, with entirely different approaches? Um, yeah, over to you, really, I guess. A key aspect of what we have been trying to do is, um, is empower product managers. We don't believe that we know what's best for every single experience, every single app experience out there, you know, the way you treat, I mean, forget live sports and entertainment, even within live sports, when you go from a, uh, a stop and go sport like NFL to a more fluid sport like football or, or, uh, or Formula One or something where there aren't as many gaps in the match play, the cadence of fan engagement is entirely different. NFL lends itself more towards predictive gaming, in-play, in-game predictive gaming, it, whereas soccer, football is more about cheering for your team, make some noise, um, you know, it's more let's place the bets before the game or like, you know, it's more about reaction to like, did you agree or disagree with that uh, penalty or bar? Do you think it's going to be a goal or no goal and stuff like that? All of that stuff, it, when you, the same exact behavior changes or the same exact cadence, fan engagement cadences, uh, changes in fan, fan engagement will be prevalent when you go from um, live sports to entertainment, whether it's concerts, whether it's VOD content um, and really the people who be are best suited to decide what's ideal for their app and for their user base is the product managers. And so LiveLike's goal is to actually take those building blocks. You know, we call them three pillars, which is community engagement and gamification. And we take it to our partners and we let them decide what makes the most sense for them. Um, in term, and to a certain extent, the work we have put in with Delta Tray in the integration for, for Diva has been with that in mind. Where do you provide the flexibility? Where do you provide certain capabilities out of the box? Um, look and feel, user experience, all of these things can be customizable and, and can be decided on the partners. And then ultimately the editorial teams are gonna decide how to actually program it. Do you want this to be a catering to a hardcore audience with, uh, you know, who know, like the armchair quarterbacks or are you catering to more casual fans? And I think that the work that has gone into making that distinction is the same when it applies to live sports versus entertainment, because you're right, the reality show behavior, audience behavior is different and you have to cater to them in a special manner and no white label product offering can serve, can cater to all of those audiences. It's not like live, like have a box of products here and a box of products here and this one's labeled no. entertainment, this one's labeled sport. It's all about empowering the people that are that are running the platform. Right. Right. Kieran, right. I guess same question to some extent for you, Kieran, but maybe more from a technological perspective, you know, certainly the thing that springs to mind from a live sport perspective is how do you deal with something like latency? Uh, clearly, if you are trying to um, provide interactive experiences for fans, you are up against that constant challenge of broadcasting live sport, which is how do you make sure you are as close to real time as possible? 
Yeah, yeah. I think well, I think just on the on the just to pick up on what Mahir said about sports and entertainment. I think from a technology perspective, it's it's the same. As in, it's I think the the challenge is making sure that you decide when to surface interactivity and how that matches with the the event lifecycle, especially in regards to live entertainment and sport. Um, in regards to kind of the challenges around latency, I think um, latency is obviously it's uh, everyone in the industry is working on on latency. Um, video currently is the highest latency against live but there's a lot of different things that we do from a technology perspective that kind of limit that and especially our not even limit that but also basically adding functionality that the user doesn't notice so basically if if the video it has you know 10 second latency etc you just may, need to work on the synchronization because you are synchronizing the timestamp of the video the data feeds coming in from the sports providers the metadata changes or any kind of calls to action for the user and of course any kind of third-party widgets that we're bringing in or sdks that we need to incorporate into the application of the player so as long as the synchronization is is there so that someone on say a Twitch chat uh, chat widget is saying something before you see that in the data, before you see that in the feed. I think the synchronization is the challenge there. And then obviously how you can kind of build on top of that. So I think it's more of a, a kind of a, a challenge in regards to the design of that and also kind of incorporating all that together. And I think it's in every, every video company out there is working on low latency, especially because you know the the benefits of low latency in regards to kind of betting and any kind of and any kind of other other kind of monetization factors in regards to advertising as well. That's obviously central to, to revenue. But I think I think there's just a general general lot of work that we need to do on synchronization so that you know the the end user doesn't see it. Um, because a lot of content moving forward will only be available on OTT. So they're not comparing it to broadcast because they can only consume it in one way. Yeah, and I think that's that's a, that, that last point is actually the, one of the most important points. You can address latency at a you know infrastructure level. You know everyone is sort of seeing everything sub-second latency. That's what the video players are are are, are you know video video companies out there are working on. And then there is synchronization um, within the app, as in if four of us are quote unquote in a watch party and you know we all are maybe a few seconds apart from each other because each one is at a different point because of latency, how do we make sure that we have a synchronized experience? Whether that synchronized experience is happening 20 seconds behind real time or not is, is different. Those, that's the distinction that I'm trying to create. And we yeah. have worked with Delta Tray on that synchronization to make sure that there's no spoiler. Basically the goal is to avoid spoiler prevention, which is so important in the world of live sports. Now, when you're trying to solve for a live betting use case where you cannot see something on Twitter while you're watching, that's the that's this latency at a video level that is also being solved for in parallel. Kieran, from a Delta Tray perspective, there's sort of the Delta Tray OTT product set. There are a number of different interactivity approaches within that interactivity personalization. I'm sort of bundling all that up into, into one. You've touched on a couple more already, but it might be worth just sort of doing a very quick overview of some of them at the moment. But where's next? Where's the next sort of angle to explore? Is it around e-commerce? You've mentioned betting. What else? Is there, you know, what's the next big thing from your perspective? Yeah, well, I, th I think um, where we are now, for years, we've, we've had um, probably one of the most advanced kind of sports Player, players in the industry where we had a lot of different interactive options across the timeline, different commentary, alerts, viewing multiple different games. Um, and then adding in all of the additional features with live life where you know we can now, you know, you can have um, you can have chat, you can have polls, you can have badges, you can kind of bring in that kind of community features. I think 
together across that, we have a, a huge variety of um, different functionality that we can give to the user now, which is which is great. I think adding in additional monetization options, we had um, a release that we did on the Diva product um, several months ago was where you can you can add timeline markers to purchase items that you see on the video as well. So if a if a customer has you know a, a merchandising platform and they can they can basically work with our editorial teams to schedule in when specific kind of product placements should uh, can be purchased as well. It's kind of a great feature. I think that was um, I think there was an article about that with LG as well. Where I think it's 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 made the kind of the mainstream now. I think so. A lot of people are talking about that, and we've had that functionality for several months, which is which is great. Um, I think some of the other features that me here were talking about in regards to kind of building up that kind of that loyalty reward system, building up that kind of tribal um, kind of community. I think that's that's quite key. And once you start building up that, more monetization options can become available to our customers and where they can start you know, promoting more content and kind of rewarding that loyalty. And then obviously those users will hopefully then you know um, reward the core customers at the end of the day. Yeah, Mahir, same question to you, I guess. You know, what's next from your perspective? Where do you see the sort of the short-term future of interactivity heading? We are really focused on uh, on the aspect of one from betting standpoint. Uh, you know, how do you use this interactivity uh, towards betting? But from a non-betting experiences standpoint, from especially with the monetization lens on, um, it's the idea of uh, digital gifting, virtual tipping. Um, you know, tip jars is, is becoming extremely popular. Uh, you know. Twitter Spaces, Clubhouse, all of these guys, the whole creator creator economy, passion economy, um, the functionality that is um, that is getting ingrained into the younger audiences um, from that perspective. How do we help our partners bring that into their experiences and take advantage of those of those those behaviors? Is where our focus is. Interactivity is just underpinning all of that. Um, like I mentioned before, community interactivity and gamification, the combination of those three. Um, is where we're focused on. Um, so at a, at a high level, it's the rewards economy, points, badges, leaderboards, unlocking premium experiences, ask me anything experiences or influencer marketing type of experiences. And from, um, and from a betting and from a monetization standpoint, it's wagering as well as not wagering. Okay, I'd like to sort of move on to more of a... Um... I guess more sort of tangible point, I suppose, for anybody that was potentially looking at implementing some of this type of um, of functionality. People, this is not news by any means, but people are consuming their sort of streaming content across any number of different platforms now. Presumably, from an interactivity perspective, what is both expected and or um, feasible on each of those platforms will differ. So how do, Mahir, I'll come to you first. How do you uh, address that? You know, are you specifically developing per platform or is it a case of, again, going back to the product managers and working with them? Well, we, you know, we focus on building out our SDKs, native native iOS, Android, and web SDKs. Usually from a feature standpoint, it's parity, there's parity. Um, and so, you know, even with the, the, the integration with Delta Tray, Lord knows my, Q, my my development team has been bombarded by Delta Trace QA team with you know feature parity. Uh, you know, and it, it's 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 been amazing to see how much attention to detail goes into that aspect. Like it's the smallest of changes that can make a difference from a UX standpoint from from different platform perspective. But but what experiences you want to launch on connected devices versus um, versus your mobile devices? Like you're right, that's where product managers do come into play because 
you know, the input mechanism for, especially when it comes to interactivity, the input mechanism, which is just simple tap on your phone or click on your website is, is not the same when you're dealing with connected devices, you know, you have different remotes, you have, you know, voice controls into come into play as well. So it's hard to have parity across those, mainly because there shouldn't be parity across. They should all be designed separately. But um, our partnership with Delta Tray is done at a video player level. So it, it sort of solves for that to a certain extent because you can still continue to do work on the front end, but when the, the widgets or the influencer chat or whatever is coming on the video, through the video, through Diva, um, it, it takes care of a lot of those UX concerns. I think, as Mahir said, the, the functionality should be kind of, uh, there, there should be parity on the functionality, but there's certain sorts of interaction that work better on different screen sizes. And it's it's not actually just screen sizes. So you would say, okay, if I'm watching on TV, I want more of a lean back experience. If I'm on my phone, I want to interact with it because like, obviously you, you, have, you have your fingers. Um, but I think there's, there's so many other um, criteria that we need to solve for as well. There's the event life cycle is in, you know, it's not just about, you know, what, what interactive features should be available on the screen size. It's also matching that to the event cycle, you know, pre-game, during the game, halftime break. The time of day, if someone's, you know, if someone's coming to an application in the morning, their five second commute these days versus a half an hour commute for a, a year ago. Um, like how, how much time do they have to actually view content versus interact yeah. with that content? Because we have to, we have to schedule in. And that's why it's key in regards to the kind of the operational teams working on both live events that we're working, making sure everything is synchronized and also working with the live light team when their editors are then putting up polls and kind of creating the kind of programmatic work inside there. There's who you're with. is if you're, if you're, if you're watching content by yourself and you want to engage with people that are in a different room or different city, et cetera, it's kind of, um, you know, it's very different if you're, if you're watching say a big, a big rugby game and you're all there sitting on the couch together, you, you know, you're less likely to be interacting with any applications or even playing with a companion app because you're there with your friends. Also, I think the kind of the user demographics in regards to how to promote that interactivity is, is different if they're, you know, a boomer versus a millennial versus Gen Z versus what culture they're in. Isn't the like the interactivity that you would design for an application in London would not work in Tokyo because it's a very different culture in regards to how data is presented as well. So there's quite a lot of different criteria that we need to look at when we're kind of looking at kind of interactivity and how how it should be displayed, you know, the time when it should be displayed, what type of what type of interactivity, and then also the device that it's on as well. You know, I'd like to finish on a big sort of open-ended question. We've talked a bit about the short-term uh, future of interactivity, you know, some of the specific verticals and applications that you're looking at. But what's the, from your perspectives, what's the end game here? You know, what does this become, is this the first step on the road to a metaverse? You know, are we talking sort of Ready Player One style, you know, living in virtual reality type experiences? Where do you see this heading in the sort of medium to long term? I can I can, I can jump in. I think um, it's quite interesting, especially what's happened over the last few months with, with with the pandemic. I think there's some there's some user trends that have happened over the last eighteen months in regards to interactivity that I think will stay. And I think um, some of the ones that we've noticed for our customers is that especially on the sports side where live sports stopped for several months. Um, a lot of our customers made great use of old VOD content and produced new VOD highlights, kind of looking back or at certain events, et cetera. So I think that, I think that is, is quite useful for a lot of customers as well to kind of dig into their archive and then produce new content. I think a lot of people um, worked on making VOD feel more live. So that is the interactive timeline or that is having reactions based on if you're watching something together and you have that, 
time coded our the kind of synchronized data alongside the video, I think making VOD feel more live, that kind of giving that a little bit more interaction. And I think crafting a virtual community, I think though that kind of community features and the fan engagement, I think everyone has been trying their best to be more interactive with other people in a virtual capacity. And I think that trend will just continue. So I think I think we're at the I think we're still on the, the incline of the kind of the innovation curve in regards to interactivity. And um, if you look at companies and um, people growing up now using Snapchat, using TikTok, the way they interact with applications is very different. And I think unless we cater for every type of interaction pattern out there, our customers are potentially you know, going to miss out on, you know, at the moment, 5 10% of the audience. But as that increases, it could go up to 20 30%. So I think everyone needs to kind of um, update their roadmaps to have as much kind of interactivity as possible. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, look, we started our journey as a live stream virtual reality business. So we, I would say that we were probably ahead of the curve um, when it came to leading, the whole world's leading to a holodeck type of a movie. But um, everything that we just touched on today will probably take three to five years to mature in the world of sports and entertainment just because these are big organizations with very complex infrastructures and processes in place, legacy net, legacy infrastructure, as well as whatever's coming in the future and the pressure to get it right within the live sporting environment. I mean, we're still trying to solve for never go black in a live and live scenario 10 years into the advent of OTT. So, you know, these are really hard problems to solve. And I think it, I have, I have stopped thinking next 10, 20 years, no one knows where it's going to be. I'm thinking more next five years. And everything that we just talked on is the next five-year horizon. Yes, there will be improvements in hardware. There'll be new new devices that probably Apple will launch. Autonomous cars will have a role to play, you know, for, for live entertainment as well when you're, you know, driving around and you're driving with your TV with while watching TV without actually driving. There's, there's so many things. IoT will have a role to play. We can throw every buzzword out there. But ultimately, how quickly product managers adopt those experiences is the, is the only way, unless we're going into a world where it's all UGC and fans are creating experiences for other fans, which is a different, different question altogether. That's not a world of sports experience. That's more platforms, which are like a Roblox type of a thing. Mm. Um, we're not discussing that, at least in the world of, sports and entertainment just yet. Um, I think there's, a, like 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 uh, Kieran mentioned, we are still very, very early on in, in scratching what interactivity has to offer. Kieran, Mihir, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and we'll see everybody again soon for the next webinar in our series. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of Feel to Fan. A massive thank you again to Mahir and Kieran and, of course, Simon for hosting. If you've enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a comment. It all makes a huge difference, and I thank you very much for that in advance. If you'd like to learn more about Delta Trade, you can visit our website at www.deltatrade.com or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter. All credits for the soundtrack go to Rex Banner, and this episode, of course, was produced by Marco Lorenzi. See you next time.